The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Great, Father. Great to be Glad here. Glad to hear it. Yeah. <clears throat> Tom, before we begin, yeah. again, I'd like to uh, ask for prayers from all of our listeners for some dear souls who are very ill. Uh, first of all, Don Kramer, one of our dear parishioners here at Immaculate Conception Church, is quite ill, so please keep uh, her in your prayers, Yvonne Kramer, and her dear husband Frank, too. And uh, also remember one of our graduates, Teresa Condit, who at a very, well, still quite tender age, is uh, gravely ill in the hospital in Texas right now. Uh, she had, uh, well, and I'm not trying to avoid the V word because, uh, of course, the sensors are out. Um, so I just used the expression getting stuck, right? And uh, dear Teresa did, in fact. Um, and uh, within a very short time became gravely ill, and now she is an extremist. So please pray for Teresa Condit and, and her, her family, okay? And... Uh, also pray for the Saint Laurent family. I understand they're recovering. Uh, Steve Sajarto is quite ill. Please remember him and his family in your prayers. And a newborn baby, Jane Elise. She's having to undergo a series of operations to save her life. So please keep her in your prayers. I also ask your prayers for Father Francois Chazal. Uh, and I actually, we have received a communication from... Uh, Someone actually, you sent us uh, some words of Father Chazal uh, to what Catholics believe. It's a general message, but it was sent to us, and we're grateful for that. It says, Dear Faithful, as I told you, what we could expect in the long term from the COVID, again, the word, here it says, was the formation of stiffer, more dangerous pathogens. What I did not expect is that one of these would catch me. I am now in severe pneumonia. My lungs are getting more and more damaged. But if I don't move, and with the help of our good doctor here, their condition is stable. My last resort is, well, again, I don't know if I dare use the word, uh, the I word, <laughs> ivermectin, because, of course, that's uh, the thought police and the the, the Newspeak police are out uh, censoring everything these days. He says, my last resort is the I-word, one of the effective drugs sidelined by the criminal governments of today. My uncle, Father Olenier, died recently because of the denial of such prescription. I don't want to follow the same path. Please pray that it is not too late for the I-word to deal with the virus. Oop, I used the word. Uh, a word they're looking for now, uh, prowling for, trolling for, whatever it is. I'm not yet saying farewell to you yet, but let the holy will of God be done either way. 
that's uh, son Francois Chazal, Father Francois Chazal. So please keep Father Chazal in your words, and I'm grateful for the communication for him. And finally, I, well, not finally, because there are a lot of special intentions to pray for, I commend them all to you. But uh, a certain uh, couple, Sam and Julie Dean, and their seven children uh, are also in need of our prayers because they are actually threatened with jail terms. Sam and Julie Dean, both of them veterans and disabled veterans, raising seven children in Plain City, Iowa, Ohio, uh, Plain City, Ohio, just 100 miles away from here, are uh, going to be sent to jail. For what? Well, they walked. They had the temerity to walk into the library without masks on. And uh, they also put little stickers, stickers on uh, signs, okay, uh, warning people about the, uh, well, about the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, yeah, the P word, right? The pandemic word, right? Of course, again, this is all going to be censored, I suppose, but, and that was the, that was the crime that they committed for which they are now being threatened with uh, jail time. Uh, so this is uh, not only a, um, uh, a police action against them, legal action, judicial action, and so on, but it certainly is setting precedent for persecution for everyone, for everyone who would dare uh, speak out. So I ask you to please uh, keep them, uh, Sam and Julie Dean, in your prayers, their family, um, uh, one can read about this on LifeSite News, so you mm -hmm. can probably check check that out there and find out what's going on there. <clears throat> but if it's happening in Plain City, Ohio, it'll happen just about everywhere, or anywhere they want it to. So. <laughs> of course, key to all this is the fact that, uh, as I've mentioned, no tyrant can accomplish anything without a police force to enforce his tyranny, Right. Uh, which is why we have to be very, very close to our police, and uh, we have to have a very close bond with them. And um, we should make it a point, more than a point, to actually forge that close connection with them. Um, but, uh, you know, tyrants, uh, would-be tyrants have jaws, but they have no teeth. No teeth, as long as they do not find... Um, uh, those of a criminal bent to support them with violence, even against uh, violence against their own mothers and fathers and, and uh, brothers and sisters and children, to uh, enslave them. So uh, the key to every tyranny is having a, a police force made up of um, mindless and heartless individuals who will do violence even to their own mothers, if necessary, to please the political powers that be. They're just... Age. Without those agents of tyranny, the tyrant, the tyrant cannot succeed. Mm -hmm. So the fact that these poor people uh, were arrested, you know, and uh, actually arraigned and all the rest, indicates um, the kind of the state. A state. It is an indication of the state of the country right now. Father, mm -hmm. is there anything uh, that that we can do? Obviously, besides our prayers to assist this family, is there any kind of support? Well, I mean, what I would like to see is I'd like to see tens of thousands of people arrive uh, at the gates of uh, Plain City, Ohio, and uh, express the fact that they're not happy with this arrangement. 
<clears throat> and especially if these two people have to leave their seven children in the care of somebody else so they can be jailed for what they did, which was okay. they serve their country, they're, they're disabled vets. Right. And um, <clears throat> there wasn't even someone like uh, with the Americans for Dis Dis Disabled Act, you know, the uh, ADA. The ADA, they're present there at the uh, at the hearing right. for them. Right. They were denied even just that basic support, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think that it would be uh, very reasonable for uh, uh, American people who don't approve of this kind of behavior on the part of, uh, um, well, what should I say? Um, uh, they're elected and appointed officials, right, that they would express that disappointment uh, and let them know what the American people think, right? Uh, and one way would be to uh, simply track what's going on here and then uh, actually write, call, or actually arrive at the doorstep and voice their disapproval. So uh, that's one thing that could be done. As you mentioned, prayer is the is the foundation of it all. Though we have to start with that, right? Mm -hmm. Prayer is the foundation of any good action. Right? Without prayer, the action is pretty much doomed to fail, or even accomplish the exact opposite of what it's intended to accomplish. So we have to start with that divine grace of God's enlightenment and inspiration. He enlightens us to know what is right, and inspires us to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. That's where we have to start. But as I say, I'd, I'd like it to inspire some action. Right. Well, Father, we have uh, multiple other things that we wanted to get to tonight. A lot of current events have uh, mm -hmm. been going on. Um, one in particular, though, that we uh, found of interest, something we haven't really discussed on the show, but in regards to this uh, critical race theory, the CRT, <clears throat> it's been kind of... Um, making the rounds lately, but um, th there's an interesting article that we read, Father, um, concerning the happenings in Connecticut um, in, in regards to the public school boards there. There's apparently um, been a lot of um, a lot of, of parents and uh, people who have been upset over this CRT, this critical race theory, being taught in the public schools there. And so they've actually um, kind of mounted a, a resistance to this, and they these more conservative-minded people have begun taking over uh, these school board positions in order to yeah. um, to to do away with this. Well, this taking CRT. over, they're actually running for them and getting and, elected and winning. Yes, That's and right. in such uh, you know liberal leftist strongholds uh, as uh, the New England states, right? Because yeah. they're known to be very uh, left in their leanings, and yet I understand that now uh, conservatives are sweeping into the school boards because everyone is horrified by what is being done. Uh, to the schools, the propaganda and the indoctrination that is taking place in the government schools right now. And so that's an item in the news now that uh, conservatives are actually uh, being elected to school boards and they're going to um, take control with, well, supposedly take control of what is going to be taught in the schools and most of all, what is not going to be taught in the schools. You mentioned CRT, critical race theory. I, I imagine our, our readers are well enough informed to understand what that is all about. But uh, it has to do with uh, actually Marxism. It's nothing but Marxism applied to race. Uh, critical theory was developed by the Frankfurt School, um, the cultural Marxists, right? Back in the 1930s. The critical, uh, well, the, the, the 
the Frankfurt School had had to explain why Marx Marxism failed, why revolution the Marxist revolution did not sweep the world as Marx actually predicted it would, overthrowing capitalism and instituting socialism everywhere. And uh, they determined basically that Christian civilization and Christian culture, notably Catholicism, was standing in the way. And so they determined a plan. They had plenty of help in this with the Masons in the 1800s and, uh, and uh, Antonio Gramsci in Italy. They had plenty of plan, helped to devise plans how to de-Christianize the culture, how to de-Catholicize the culture of the West. And so they set about doing it. We see how successful they've been. But one of the basics of their idea was that there are structures of society that are, that are just intrinsically, um, uh, what should I say, t- uh, totalitarian, tyrannical, and um, these have to be these have to be destroyed. Um, so they they call that critical theory, and they wanted people to examine um, the especially the societies of the West to recognize just how uh, un, uh, what should I say, unfree they were and how they were determined actually to create a kind of class society and to oppress. They, were, they existed to oppress certain people, okay? That there would always be, um, uh, well, there, would, there were uh, societies were structured in such a way that certain people would always be dominant and others would always be uh, subservient and oppressed. And uh, their idea was, we're going to have to destroy those structures in every society. Um, they think in terms of religion and, and, and so on. But when the uh, Marxists um, uh, gain control now through the uh, Democratic Party, basically, um, they've instituted this critical race theory. They've tried criti- their critical theory. They've applied it to race. And they say that uh, essentially uh, members uh, who, who are uh, members of the human race who are Caucasians, okay, white people are just necessarily naturally uh, uh, irreformably racist, and uh, the white people will necessarily uh, demand the dominant position wherever they are. They will assume dominance over other races, especially the blacks, especially the uh, members of the uh, human race who are black, uh, the black uh, peoples, they are, in a sense, almost made to order to be dominated by whites. Uh, This is what our young people are being taught in many of the schools right now. This is standard fare for our young people um, in the in the government schools right now, uh, the whites are being taught that they are hopelessly racist and dominant, and that's where we get the idea of uh, white supremacy. And every white person is a white supremacist, whether he wants to be or not. And if he claims he's not, he's a liar. He's lying, even perhaps to himself, because he can't help it. It just comes natural. It comes with the whiteness. Okay. And every black person is uh, kind of naturally then relegated to the level of subservience. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were a black person, I would find that critical race theory extremely offensive. 
I mean, I might, I might find it uh, useful if I had a grudge to bear and an axe to grind against white people saying, well, look, this is the way they are, you know. And no matter how friendly or helpful or kind or charitable they may be to me, their uh, fundamental uh, approach is going to be that they want to dominate me. Even their friendship, even their kindness, even their helpfulness, even their trying to boost me and help me to make progress and, and gain, uh, you know, uh, social status and standing and, and even their efforts to fight for my liberation and equality. Even the Civil War was fought to further dominate us in the name of even freeing us from slavery. Whites can't help it, right? Everything they do is all about that. For someone who, who has a sick mind, who is somewhat deranged by uh, just vindictiveness and basically feeling self-pity and wants to some, find someone to blame for everything that, they, that happens to them, well, that's made to order for that. <clears throat> but for a black person who is not like that, for a black person who says, look, I'm a human being, I have a mind of my own, and I, um, I want to know truth and justice and goodness and fight for what's right, and I want to stand up for myself, and I want to make, you know, better myself and all the rest and make my way in the world and achieve things, I would be offended by this critical race theory that tells me you can't, you can't do that. It's impossible. You cannot, uh, because you're constantly going to run into the, bar the impenetrable barrier of white supremacy and, uh, you know, white superiority. So all you can do is rage against that, but you can't do anything to escape from it. You know, that's awful. Uh, this is exactly what Marx wanted to create an endless and hopeless warfare among the classes, among the races. Uh, he wanted basically to identify classes, the different races with the different classes. And here he wants the white to be the dominant race, and he wants the black to be the, the subservient race, and he <laughs> wants there to be perpetual warfare. This is Marxism. It is suicidal. It is uh, obviously diabolical, but uh, in so far as anybody, uh, any white or black person buys into this, they are actually buying into Marxism, and they are sowing the seeds of not only the destruction of our country, they're sowing the seeds of their own destruction too. Mm -hmm. And Father, you use the word diabolical. I mean, isn't this exactly what Satan does? Is sow discord mm -hmm. Absolutely. among the people? But I mean, and it's the exact antithesis of Catholicism, which is universal, which is one, mm -hmm. uh, where we all recognize that we're, we're one human race created mm -hmm. by God. But, um, Father, what, what about, though, in, in particular in, in Connecticut here, um, I mean, do you think that this is, this is a, a model for, for other people throughout the country? Well, I think it shows, it leads the way. You know, rather than just wringing our hands and saying, oh, isn't this terrible, isn't this terrible? I mean, there were people there who actually said, I'm going to uh, put my name on the line, put my head in the ring, I'm going to run for this office. Uh, do you think they really wanted to do this? Do you think they needed this? They might have been very comfortable and happy where they were, but they saw a need and they, they answered the, the call for their own children. I mean, some of these people actually have children in the schools that are being attacked right now, and they, they saw that I have to do this not only for my child, 
my children, but for the children of others too. And they might have no political aspirations whatsoever. They might even be appalled and abhor politics. But they realize here, I mean, this is hitting awfully close to home. And we just cannot let these, uh, uh, we cannot let the, the criminally insane people take control of the education of our children. People with serious, serious mental problems, <laughs> you know, and uh, serious issues uh, deciding. Uh, how, but Tom, you have experience. You have experience yourself. I mean, you're a professional signer and you, you've done some signing yourself. Could you tell us about that? Well, yes, Father, I, for the, uh, the local public school board here in Cincinnati, I was the, the sign language interpreter for their, for their uh, weekly or bi-weekly bi school board meetings mm -hmm. um, right down in, in Clifton. And um, I, I, I've told you before how... Um, I how noticed, long was that, you say? I did it for three or four years. For three or four years? Yeah, okay. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, one of the, the biggest things I, I noticed was the, uh, was the makeup of, of the school board, how it was perfectly perfectly diverse they had a a uh, you know they had a, a white woman a, a black woman they had a latino uh they had a a um a mexican and and just everything perfectly perfectly balanced but there there was on, on this eight nine person board there's not one single uh for the first three years or so that i did this there's not sing one single uh just white middle-aged man on, on the board, which I thought seemed strange because how I many board members were there? I, I believe eight or eight or nine. Eight or um, nine, and yeah. for three, the first three, three years, four, not a single yeah. middle-aged white man. No, father, no. Okay, no. Uh, did you find that odd? I did find that odd <laughs> because it seems to be the purpose of the school board was to, to represent the the people uh, in mm -hmm. in the district, and uh, I guess one even one single middle-aged white man was not representative of anybody. So apparently <laughs> not, and. And but that could be because not a not a single middle-aged white man ran for the school board. That could, for all that, we know. That right? could be. That could but be. you say for the first three years, what happened then? Tor towards the end of uh, of my time there, Father, there there was uh, one elected who just seemed to be your, a middle-aged white man. Middle-aged white man, and uh, I, I now thought, now they became diverse. Truly, I, diverse I, I thought it was a bit a bit strange though. So I I did a uh, a, a bit of digging and I found out that this uh, particular board member was um was in fact fired and very publicly from a local novus ordo catholic high school for uh for too loudly supporting so-called gay so-called marriage um and he, he was fired for that and was made out to be this great martyr uh, so he was this. supporting the lgbtq uh agenda yes and that that too that, loudly and he yes. was fired yes so he wound up on the school board. Yes, that, that won him his spot oh. on the school board, I think. Just to make sure we're really divorced and represent the entire <laughs> yes. population. Right? Yes, well, I thought that just that just went to show how um, it, it was it was just an absolute farce. It wasn't really in any way meant to to represent, be a, a true representation of the people in the district. It was 100% political. Mm -hmm. And um, just one one other thing that, that, we, that we talked about as well is just how in the school board meetings that I witnessed week after week, um, the, it seemed the entire agenda was uh, largely, largely focused on uh, this, uh, this so-called kudos that, that they had. Where they, it was incessant. They would uh, go, go around in the circle just congratulating themselves on the wonderful work that they had done, the wonderful accomplishments in their, their, their schools. And um, just they were, they were celebrating each other's, each other's and their own achievement in the, in the schools, yes, yes. the academic <laughs> yes. achievements. Oh, everything. everything. Wow, yes. wow. Yeah. And you had to sign all of this yeah. for them. Uh, they're complimenting each yes. other constantly. 
I see. Well, that's uh, very charming, Tom. Now, now, you know, this indicates something. Um, well, either, either uh, there were representative people, people who really represented represented the demographics of the area, and the children in the schools who were running and were not being elected. And the votes were rather going to like special minority segments, perhaps by people who thought, well, gee, if we don't vote for them, no one will, so we have to vote for the minorities to make sure they're represented. And the consequence was that's all that were elected, right? Um, Or perhaps, and this may be more the case, and that is that those who really were representative of the democratics, uh, the demographics of the student body just didn't run for the school board. Um, perhaps they were busy running businesses or exercising uh, supremacy somewhere, and they were so busy, you know, being white supremacists that they never bothered to run for the school board. So it could be simply that they weren't represented because they didn't run. I don't have any data on that, Father, but I would I would highly doubt that. Um, well, if it, even if that were the case, though, evidently that's changing. Hopefully, hopefully. Because what happened in Connecticut yeah. on a very small scale might be an indication that people are beginning to object. And by the way, when I say object, I don't just mean middle-aged white men. I mean there are a lot of people from minority groups who do not like this critical race theory at all, recognize it as being um, evil, and recognize it as very, very destructive, even if they don't recognize it as being Marxism. There are a lot of good, you know, solid people out there all the different races represented in our country who are rising up against this. And uh, oddly enough, it seems to me that uh, if you were to get all of the critical race theory uh, proponents in one room, I bet you the majority of them would be be white leftists Uh who are preaching this anti-gospel here. Gospel of what well, this is this is this is racism. This is absolute out and out racism. They're preaching here yeah. uh, Critical race theory. So but anyway, I thought it was interesting uh, what you say about the uh, People actually now running for the school board who want to represent the best interests of their children And I, I find that extremely impressive father Obviously, I don't I don't have any experience with the school boards in Connecticut But with my experience here, I can tell you that dissension in any way was was not ever tolerated um, any no. anyone that that expressed a, a contrary opinion was was uh instantly shut down and um, but did you have to sign telling them to be quiet or what uh not not to, not to them directly but, but for the uh there were ways know, of silence yeah yeah, yeah. so um okay. but uh yeah not a good um definitely not a pleasant atmosphere yeah. but let's hope that that's something that is changing Hopefully. right now Hopefully, Father. Hopefully. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, but, Father, we have uh, several other things we wanted to talk about. One, uh, of course, was, I guess, just today the, the news came out that uh, Governor Cuomo uh, in New York is actually going to resign um, over some of the allegations and the, the scandal that's been surrounding him lately. So, um, do you have any thoughts on his uh, finally resigning? Father? Well, I think people are somewhat puzzled because they see that the, his fellow leftists have risen up against him and demanded that he resign. Is it because they find him to be such an embarrassment? Is it because they're horrified at his behavior? Well, no. I mean, the, the same people who uh, 
you know, are horrified, at, they say, at what Governor Andrew Cuomo is alleged to have done, are still filled with uh, admiration for Bill Clinton, right? And to still uh, want to um, avoid investigating uh, Epstein, you know? So, no, I, I, I would have to say to them, no, I don't think they suddenly have found some moral indignation, the leftists, that they would want Andrew Cuomo gone. And I don't think they're particularly embarrassed by him either. Because, you know, the left <clears throat> tries to find some moral fault or failing of a conservative, and they trumpet it everywhere <clears throat> because they expect the conservative uh, Republicans will will be horrified by infidelity or some other, you know, immoral, immoral behavior of one of their own. But when it comes to the immoral behavior of Democrats and leftists, the leftists are perfectly fine with it. You know, they could, they could uh, uh, be confronted with the most obnoxious behavior. I mean, look at abortion. They trumpet that. They're proud of it. They glory in abortion. So what could any Democrat do or any leftist do that, that they would find embarrassing, right? Except to, if they were caught praying or, or something, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, so, um, you know, as far as any moral uh, failing or moral uh, uh, immorality that they're guilty of, um, this is not something that they'd be ashamed of. This is something they'd be proud of. It's, it's another reason to vote for that candidate. A leftist would be encouraged to vote for a candidate who did things like this. No, I don't think it's because they think uh, Cuomo is a bad guy. <clears throat> I think it's true that uh, when it comes right down to it, uh, he consigned tens of thousands of elderly people to death in nursing homes in New York. It's an issue that will not go away. Those thousands of people who died by his command, basically, at his orders, um, may, may be deceased, but the issue, their deaths in, will not die. The issue itself will not die. And so I think they found it necessary to somehow get him out of there and focus the attention on something else that makes it look as though they're trying to take the moral high ground in one thing, in something, anyway. But in fact, I do believe it really is a cover-up. Um, but I mean, Cuomo is not the only one who, who you know, uh, adopted that approach, uh, that lethal approach for many, many people. I mean, there were other governors who did the same thing. Um, but uh, Cuomo is the most famous. I mean, after all, he wrote a book about it, right? about how, you know, expert he was in dealing with the, the crisis here. Um, and uh, what he did was very public. As a matter of fact, it became public uh, through one of his own um, close associates in the government there in New York that they were deliberately covering up the number of deaths in the nursing homes. So um, it could well be that were it not for this, um, there would be other indictments coming down, other charges being filed, or at least some some uh, facts, more and more facts revealed that would be more and more embarrassing for the, even the the leftists, you know. So I, I think they found a way to uh, induce him 
to let go of the, uh, the reins of power, although leftists don't relinquish that power rel- willingly. I think they forced him out. And maybe cleared the way for someone even worse than he. You know? Even more leftist than he is. More ruthless than he is. Because Governor Cuomo, I mean, no matter what else you may say, was he an ideologue? No. He looked out for Cuomo. You know? It's all about Cuomo. Right? But they might want to get a real leftist ideologue in there. And maybe his resignation is clearing the way for that. Oh, boy. I don't know. But uh, just guessing, since you asked. Yeah. Uh, Well, Father, something else um, I want to talk about was was the Fauci, uh, some of the things that he's he's said lately, and uh, it seems there's this general uh, theme of the mask mandates kind of uh, accelerating again and becoming more and more prominent. They're talking about doing this more and more um, throughout the schools now, the Mm -hmm. government schools, and um, just in general. So any any reactions Mm -hmm. to this acceleration of the mask mandates again? well, again, it's just another another step, uh, another line in the script, uh, as far as uh, Dr. Fauci is concerned, because you know, at first he came out originally saying, don't wear masks, they don't help, they're no good, okay, don't bother with them. And uh, he flip-flopped immediately, went to the other extreme, said everybody's got a mask up. When he was asked why, he, he didn't say that the science has changed, of course, but he said that originally... He had deliberately lied and deceived, deceived the people. He, he actually acknowledged that because there weren't enough uh, masks to go around and our uh, medical personnel needed them. So I, I had to uh, tell people not to bother with masks uh, to make sure that our medical people had the masks that they needed. Um, so, I mean, he just came right and told us, look, I'm, I'm manipulating you by lies. Okay. So uh, people were asking, well, which Fauci do we believe? Which, Fau- which Dr. Fauci do we believe? And when I heard that, well, which Dr. Fauci do we believe? I thought, well, which Dr. Fauci? He, it really is. It, it really is a witch doctor. He really is a witch doctor. You notice when he speaks, he's on there talking about getting people stuffed in masks, especially little children now. Yeah. And, uh, and all the other things, the V word, sticking people with um, uh, magic formulas and magical elixirs that they've cooked up in their laboratories. <clears throat> and he's always smiling. He's always smiling when he talks about this, as though he's really enjoying it. He's really enjoying the power and the limelight to be there and making these pronouncements that are going to affect the lives of millions of people. He seems to actually enjoy being in that position. So here he is sitting, standing there with this smile on his face, telling people about things that are going to adversely affect their lives. And he seems to really... You notice Bill Gates the same way. When they interview Bill Gates, okay, he's talking about all kinds of things happening, and he's, he's got this grin on his face, like he's really enjoying this. Because, I mean, this is his power, I guess, right? So, yes, uh, witch doctor, uh, the witch doctor is at it again, you know, and... Uh, um, we know when the witch doctor speaks, whichever doctor is speaking, it's not, it's not uh, for our benefit, right? It's for the sake of his power. So, um, uh, yes, but I'm afraid this, uh, again, is going to last as long as there are those who are willing to enforce it. Now, now they're commanding that the members of our armed forces uh, get stuck, all of them, right? 
I've heard that the general in charge of the uh, Marines has said, no, you're not sticking, you know, it's not going to happen to my Marines. Uh, but I don't know. I haven't seen that verified. I, I, um, but in any case, that's going to create quite a, a dilemma for many of the good people of our armed services, you know, as they're being threatened and menaced with this. Um, so we have to pray for them, right? We have to pray for them, but, you know, when we pray, we always should realize that we're asking God to inspire us, to inform our minds, our intelligence, our intellects, by enlightening us with the truth, but also inspiring us with a will to do what is right. And uh, that always involves action. Um, I think one of the most important things that uh, real Americans can do now is actually talk to their police and talk to their, and not, not only law enforcement, but actually, uh, actually military uh, service members, I mean, their families, their own family members. These are sons and daughters of our own American families. And I think that, you know, if they can, if they have access to them, I, th I think, uh, you know, they need to try to assure them that their first allegiance is to God and to family and to country, not to some political hack or hacks who would, uh, you know, try to seize tyr uh, tyrannical power over the people. Uh, I think that's extremely important for people to do, to uh, talk to the members of law enforcement, because as I say, politicians and, uh, you know, would-be tyrants have jaws, but they have the, to talk with. I mean, they, they yak and yak and yak. They can talk all they want, but they have no teeth unless they get uh, sons and daughters who are willing to do violence to their own kith and kin. Mm -hmm. Father, one, one point on the uh, the opposition to this um, the mandatory fee word um, is uh, that well there has been opposition to it but it seems that it's it's so um, readily so easily shut down because the uh, so-called Catholic so-called bishops um, and and cardinals and what have what will reference Francis and his pronouncements on this how this is uh, you know moral even a moral obligation for people <coughs> to do this so has what Francis ha has said and done has that kind of just undermine any, any oh absolutely argument. francis is, is absolutely betraying uh people everywhere to this especially those who call themselves catholic consider themselves catholic francis is absolutely um you know I mean, talk about sticking people he's stabbing them in the back he really is um so that following his his lead and the the congregation for the doctrine of the faith under him has come out and said it's perfectly moral to accept these things there's no objection you have no grounds for objecting right um, and uh, in New York, they've always come out and said point blank, this is the, the, the authorities, the Novus Ordo authorities in New York said, look, don't grant any religious exceptions. The priests have no right and no power to grant religious exceptions or to request them for anybody. So don't even think about it. And uh, the archbishop who's in charge of the uh, military, right, uh, for, for the church, for the Novus Ordo church, okay, um, actually has come out and said, look, you know, you, you may have your own conscience, but your conscience has to be formed by the church. It's funny how the modernists always reach for that when it serves their own purpose, okay? 
If it has to do with standing against abortion or something, well, you know, they don't press that issue. But if it comes down to something like this, getting stuck with some magic elixir produced by some, uh, uh, you know, uh, traveling carnists, as it were, in the wagons of West, um, then suddenly we have to uh, submit our consciences to the direction of the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, because there can be no surer guide to morality than that, as we all know. Uh, just, just ask the modernists about right and wrong, and they'd be glad to tell you. Right? Right. It's all leftist. And um, so he, he's actually undermining any, any hope that anyone who you know, cherishes the name Catholic or adopts the name Catholic in the armed services can get any exemption of any kind. And it doesn't sound as though they're going to allow any exemptions. They're talking about court-martialing people now. They're talking about court... I'm talking about the Pentagon. I'm talking about the Defense Department. Talking about court-martialing members of the armed services who refuse to get vaccinated, refuse to uh, get stuck. Mm. Got to be careful here. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but even the fact that we're having to avoid these words tells you how far along the line of the New World Order we really are and how uh, Orwell's 1984 really is upon us. The fact that we have to avoid speaking this, because the, um, the uh, social media have, have uh, legions of censors, many of them communists, actually like watching every, every word we say to censor it. So, but in any case, um, yeah, I, I, I know that uh, I'm, I'm hearing more and more from our own People, graduates, members of the church whose jobs are on the line, who's uh, at their livelihood, and um, whose consciences are on the line, now whose educations are on the line, uh, because of this um, this uh, this tyranny, and um, so uh, now that it's hitting the military. Uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of lot of uh, good people who are going to have a crisis of conscience and nowhere to turn. Why? Because the one person who should be their advocate, the vicar of Christ on earth, uh, well, uh, it turns out that he he's somebody's vicar, but it's not Christ. Right? You call him the vicar, vicar of Gates, the vicar of whoever you want, but it's it's not speaking for Jesus Christ, our Lord. So uh, this is going to require a lot of a lot of uh, courage, a lot of very deep and, and uh, unwavering faith in our Lord, though, um, because we know that um, the victory is already His, and we just have to be faithful to Him to share in that victory. Uh, this is a real test, though, a real test of those who would, uh, you know, want. Follow our Lord Jesus Christ and be faithful to Him, uh, and we have to hold uh, hold very very fast, as Saint Paul said, "Hold fast, mm-hmm. hold fast to your faith. Yeah. Don't waver in that." That's what Archbishop Lefebvre's great message, really, in his last interview. As you know, Tom, and we wanted to talk about that. Yes, um, I don't know that we have an awful lot of time right now, but I know you have some. You read it over, and you you found mm-hmm. certain things of great interest. So I, mm-hmm. I would ask you, what what did you find of particular interest? In this inter last interview with Archbishop Lefebvre. Okay, I just say it was taken from the publication Fideliter, 
It's number 79, this January-February issue of 1991. And it was translated into English, which is what we have here, this English translation, for The Recusant, August 2014. That's the, re the English translation we have. Mm -hmm. um, and this can be found at the drbo.org, I think, yes. website. D-R-B-O, Douay Reims Bible Online, under the heading Articles. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting uh, collection of articles he has there, and this is one of them. This asked to be with the Archbishop of 1991. It was the year he died. He died in March of 1991. Mm -hmm. But you read this and found it interesting. I did find it interesting, Father. I, I found it striking, really, how um, how pointedly he, he speaks in this interview. He doesn't... Um, mince words by any any stretch of the imagination but just for those who haven't read it just to give them a, li a little sampling um he he's archbishop the five says that it, it's a matter of faith that separates us from rome uh, he says the the principles which now guide the conciliar church are more and more overtly contrary to catholic doctrine but if i may interrupt he, he when he speaks, says rome here one always has to understand he distinguishes between catholic rome yes and modernist rome yes and, but he says it's a matter of faith. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. his point. That's what separates us from modernist Rome. Mm -hmm. I'm but, sorry. But no, no, he says um, things like the, the, the modernist positions. He says their, their reflections are absolutely insane. He says it's absolutely inconceivable that we could agree to work with these people. He says it's impossible uh, that we could we could work with these these kind of these modernists and, and accept any of their, their things. And um, just incredibly clear not not any any mincing of words whatsoever and it struck me father um this reading this sounds a lot like something that yourself or something that our society of saint pius the fifth priest would say mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like we hear language like this from the society of saint pius the tenth today and i know you said before that you mm -hmm. obviously believe the society of saint pius the fifth uh, is more true to the to this mission of archbishop of the five than, than the the current uh, SSPX is, but um, why why is that, Father? I mean, obviously. Well, the SSPX adopted formally for some time, uh, at least ten years, maybe fifteen years, a formal policy of basically um, appeasement. Really, I don't know what else to say. And appeasement by as exactly what Archbishop Fav says in his interview, being soft peddling things and trying to show a friendly friendly face, you know, kind of be nice and not denounce the modernists, um, as Archbishop Lefebvre denounced them so, so boldly, uh, for, and, and rightly so, because he was moved by an indignation born of love for the faith and born of love for our Lord, whom he saw attacked by the, by the modernists in Rome. And, uh, but you saw the Society of St. Pius X uh, openly, formally, publicly adopt a, a new marketing policy that was actually a marketing ploy to put on a, a happy, friendly face and look more, let's say, open, right, to the modernists in Rome and working with them and and so on. And uh, Father Pagliarani's uh, last, uh, well, his letter in responding to Francis's motu proprio, right, Tradiciones Custodes, is the closest I've seen in years to anybody in authority in the Society of St. Pius X coming out and saying, look, we cannot follow you and we cannot work with, mm -hmm. with this. 
we cannot work with this modernism because it is intrinsically inimical to the faith. Uh, it is death to the faith. It is actually not the Catholic faith at all. And yet, you know, even though Father Pallarani makes some very bold statements there, he still, he still holds back from drawing the necessary conclusion. In other words, Father Pagliarotti, by his, his, his own statement, his own answer to Francis, leads up, you might say, gives the premises, um, but he never actually draws the conclusion. He never actually draws the conclusion that Archbishop Lefebvre states here boldly. And I would like to ask Father Pagliarotti, have you read this last interview of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre? And if the answer is no, I haven't read it, then I would say, please do. You owe it to yourself, everyone else, and you, to Archbishop Lefebvre to read it. And I would say, if you have read it, do you agree with it? Could you yourself give these same answers that Monsignor Lefebvre, that Archbishop Lefebvre gave in 1991? <laughs> and if Father Pagliarani says, well, yes, I, can, I agree with it totally, and I will state the same thing, I, I, in my own words, actually. Or no, not even in my own words. I will read as my own the words of Archbishop Lefebvre, and I will mean every word that I say, every word that he said. I would be interested, could he say that? Would he say that? I don't know. But uh, I would say if uh, Father Pagliarotti could come out and actually say of himself, with his own conviction, what Archbishop Lefebvre said in 1991 in this last interview, I would be very encouraged by that. Okay, I'd say it's a good start. But, I mean, does the Society of St. Pius X actually stand for what Archbishop Lefebvre himself actually stood for mm -hmm. in uh, early 1991, <laughs> just a couple months before his death? Well, Father, um, not, not to answer for them, but um, it seems clear to me that, um, that, that the answer would be no, that they, they could not, because he, in about halfway through the interview, they talk about Dom Gerard and the, the fraternity oh. of, of St. Peter, and um, Archbishop Lefebvre says that, uh, that they, the fraternity of St. Peter um, have given up the ability to, to appease, or to oppose Rome, sorry, they have given up the ability to oppose Rome by this, this agreement that they have with them. He says that they must submit more and more to the archbishop of their, their diocese. They must take care not to act as though the conciliar forms are less than appreciated. Uh, he says they must, they must also make an effort to bring with them all those who are not yet in obedience to the Holy Father. Um, he says they, they even try to uh, make excuses for the, the modernist concepts like the, the religious liberty and whatnot. Well, Father, this sounds exactly like modern-day society of St. Pius X, where they don't have this ability to oppose Rome uh, to the extent that they, that they should, and they are submitting more and more to their archbishop of their diocese. We've, we've seen this, where Francis and Benedict have supposedly granted them uh, faculties to some extent, and we, we've seen them invite the, the local Novus Ordo bishops into their, their churches and call them our bishop mm -hmm. and, and um, right. be at his back and call. So we know that's a fact. How, how could they possibly, uh, do you think that the modern day society of St. Pius X has, as Archbishop Lefebvre says, given up the ability to oppose Rome? I think they're uh, kind of over a barrel right now. A barrel, they put themselves over a barrel. Because for years now, they've been adopting this sort of uh, approach of just going along and getting along and uh, not stirring up. 
I, I mean, when, when the Pachamama idol worship was going on in the Vatican, I thought, what would Archbishop Lefebvre be saying about that right now? And, you know, Archbishop Lefebvre was trained as a diplomat. And uh, he was a very good at it. Because he was a very warm personality. And he was very straightforward, very honest. In a sense, he reminded me of St. John Bosco in that regard. I think people felt that they could really trust him. And he was very trusting, too. I mean, that's why he got into the negotiations with the modernists in the first place. Because he felt that he had an obligation, I think, to try whatever he could, right? Um, but he found out that his trust was betrayed, and they were not as honest and straightforward as he is, as he was and as he is. <laughs> um, so he could purr when necessary, okay, but he could also roar when necessary, and he roared at times. And he would have roared over the Pachamamas, definitely. He would have blasted that sky high. He would have used language, and he did use some language that I guess in English would have been rather shocking, but in, in French is perfectly legitimate to use to show the gravity of the situation. Um, language that you don't hear. I mean, you haven't heard in the Society of St. Pius X that kind of uh, denunciation of the evil of the Novus Ordo. When, when I contrasted what I would have expected to hear from Archbishop Lefebvre about Pachamama with what the Society of St. Pius X actually came out with, that was not Archbishop Lefebvre. That was not speaking for Archbishop Lefebvre. And so I think that they were soft-pedaling it. And I think it's exactly because of what you said, because they more or less had to. You see, they've been going along, and Francis has been kind of soft-pedaling this and giving them this bone and giving them that bone, right? Marriages and, con and confessions and so on. And they've been actually using that to entice people to come in, yeah. thinking that, oh, it's not exactly approved by the Holy Father, but it's, it's, he, he does approve it somewhat. Partial I mean, communion. He gives a little yeah. wink to it, a partial communion. So it's really okay. So they've been getting people in uh, with that understanding. But if the gauntlet is thrown down, though, saying, when Francis says, no, you can't do that, right? I'm, I'm forbidding this because this uh, ancient usage of the tr traditional Mass no, does not express the lex arandi, the law of praying, or the law of believing anymore. <laughs> and Francis throws the gauntlet down in Rome, and the Society of St. Pius X were to pick up that gauntlet and take that challenge and come roaring back and saying, you have no right to do this, uh, you know, you don't represent the traditional Catholic faith in any way, you know, you, you are the enemy of the faith. And if, if they were to sound like Archbishop Lefebvre sounded, um, then that would, that would basically tear off the mask. And many, many people who had uh, signed up with the Society of St. Pius X would suddenly find themselves uh, questioning, well, was I brought in under false pretenses? You know, I, I thought that things were on the right path to be reconciled with Rome, and now I find that we've gone, uh, you know, out of uh, we've gone out of the Cold War of the refrigerator into the hot war of the, the frying pan. 
So I've got to clear out of here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going against the Holy Father. Are they afraid of that? I think they've got themselves over a barrel now that they have to appease people they brought in who have certain expectations. And the expectations are not being met. I think these people were deceived. I think they were deceived by Francis. And I think they were deceived uh, by, to some extent, the authorities in the society who were willing to go along with Francis in this deception. And now I think they have a problem, like, how do we, how do we take a strong stand now and boldly speak the truth, as Monseigneur Lefebvre did so many times, and not jeopardize the following we have? I don't know. I think they've uh, actually created this problem for themselves. But um, you say, Tom, having read this, that you don't think this is Father Pagliarotti or the society could read this and say, okay, this is what we stand for now. Um, but you see why I say what I say, that if they could say this and read it themselves aloud and say, yes, we subscribe to all of this, and what Archbishop Lefebvre expresses here is exactly the stand we take today. You can see why I would find that somewhat encouraging. Because this is a very bold statement. Have we linked to this, uh, for what Catholics believe? I'm not sure, Father, but uh, certainly will. Because I would encourage all of our viewers to, to yeah. read this. Father, if I may just really quickly read the one paragraph that I um, think you and I both would agree is the, is the most bold Mm -hmm. uh, a striking statement out of this whole interview. Um, just really, really short paragraph here. This is uh, the question from the Fidelitaire magazine. The interviewer asks, uh, "What?" Or he says, "What can you say to those of the faithful who still hope in the possibility of an agreement with Rome?" And this is our special Lefebvre's answer. He says, "Our true faithful, those who have understood the problem and who have precisely helped us to continue along the straight and firm path of tradition and the faith." were afraid of the approaches I made towards Rome. Mm. They told me it was dangerous and that I was wasting my time. Yes, of course I hoped until the last minute that in Rome we would witness a little bit of loyalty. I cannot be blamed for not having done the maximum. So now too, to those who say to me, quote, you've got to reach an agreement with Rome, end quote, I think I can say that I went even further than I should have. Mm. What about that, Father? Interesting he, statement he, from Monsanto. Yes. I think that's characteristic of his, his humility. I think he, he undertook the negotiations out of humility, and I think here he acknowledges that, uh, oh, humbly, humbly, that maybe I took it too far, and trusted too much. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it also was an indication of his own integrity, <laughs> that he might have expected the same integrity of those he was dealing with. And of course, mm -hmm. it wasn't there. But, Father, I, I even... Um... Besides that, I, I, find that to, I find that to be a, uh, a powerful argument against those who, in the Society of St. Pius X, will say, this is what Archbishop Lefebvre wanted. He wanted us to, you know, try and, try and mm -hmm. in, in some way work out this, this agreement with Rome, and this is exactly what he wanted. We're simply carrying on his tradition. Well, no, right, Archbishop Lefebvre, this is exactly what he did. Now. He says right here that I think I can even say that I went further than I should have. Mm -hmm. So yes. I just found right. that very striking. But yes, by the way, we can certainly link to that, uh, that interview for our viewers, but... We covered a lot of ground tonight, Father. Anything else you'd like to it mention? <clears throat> keep the faith. Not only keep it, but spread it. I mean, there are a lot of people out there today who realize there's something going on. And um, we need to explain it to them and help them understand what is happening. Um, everything that is happening today actually is about our Lord. 
It's about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will he be the king uh, or will he not, right? Our Lord, as it were, hauled before Pontius Pilate today, put on trial there. But as he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And there are a lot of people out there who are looking for the truth. Some of them will find the truth to be rather inconvenient, right? And maybe require of them sacrifices and changes in their lifestyles and so on. But God is giving the grace to those who are willing to accept it, to love the truth and follow it. And so God forbid that we should fail. That, that, that there are those who will not hear the truth because we have been silent when we should have spoken. Uh, I would not want to die and find out that there were souls that were lost because of something not only that I did, but because of what I failed to do. So we have to be bolder and more assertive than ever in, in the truth of our faith and our love for our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and our fidelity to him. We have to help people to understand that really, ultimately, it's all about, it really is all about him. Those who will be faithful to him and those who won't. There are those who will gather with him and those who will scatter. And that's the choice that we have to make. And we have to, as, as faithful Catholics, traditional Catholics, we have to gather with him. And we know what that means. <clears throat> Where the body is, there will the eagles be gathered together, right? Quoted from the Gospels, St. Matthew, chapter 24. And what we mean by that, what we understand by that, where the body of Christ is, in the Holy Eucharist, that, in a valid, the true, valid, traditional Catholic Mass, there will the eagles be gathered together. Those are the true faithful. And uh, that's exactly where we all have to gather. The traditional Catholic faith at the true, traditional Catholic Mass. Amen. Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Sort of time. Thank you. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.